This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Playoffs. Hello and welcome to NL Playoffs. This is round 8. My name is Gautam. I have with me my co-host Aniket. Aniket, say namaste. Hello world. I think this is a really very, very special episode uh, because we have a special guest with us. Uh, but before that, Aniket, I have to... Bit of a humble brag. Uh, I know last time I said I went to a professional baseball game after 18 months or so. Uh, this time I went to another professional basketball game. This time I went to watch an NBA game between the Milwaukee Bucks, the defending champs. I watched them play against the Utah Jazz. I got to look at uh, the defending MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo. So it was it was quite a sight. So just a humble brag, nothing much. Yeah, I envy you sitting here uh, in my small room. Yeah. All right. So I know uh, Aniket, you have a bit of an intro written down for our special guest. I'll let you take the lead on this, and we'll continue. Yeah. So I'm super stoked. Today we have with us a polymath who's worked in various fields, the field of advertising, television, like Channel V, MTV. He's also been a sports journalist and written for The Wall Street Journal, The Guardian, Winston Cricketers Almanac. He's been the managing editor at ESPN Crick Info, editor of Pragati. In 2009, he was Business Week's India's 50 most powerful people for his blog India Uncut. He's a two-time winner of the Bastiat Prize for Journalism. He's played professional poker. And if you're still guessing, he's the host of India's favorite podcast, Seen and the Unseen. Amit Verma, absolute pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you for taking time for NL Playoffs. Uh, thank you for that really generous introduction and thanks for inviting me. Uh, I hope we have a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. We've been stoked for the past couple of days. Yeah, yeah, I, totally. I mean, uh, I, as a regular uh, a listener of The Scene and Unseen, this is pretty cool. Uh, Amit, so really, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. As we've already said, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, we just want to give you a brief introduction. So we're like eight episodes young. So it's two guys who just caught a microphone and started talking. And News Laundry was kind enough to give us airtime. So that's how we are here. But the idea we started this podcast was uh, one to just start a conversation on sport in general. So we often do like headlines, cover sporting events of the month. But today we like to introduce our audience to the sporting ecosystem, right? So there are the athletes we always see, hear about in the news. Uh, there are so many people that are in the back end and we wanted to start with you as you had a superb career as a sports journalist. So we thought we'll, you know, just dive into your uh, trajectory of how you got here, what you did and what just caught your fancy about sports because me and Gotham are sport nuts and that's where we are. That's it. So that's how this started is like, let's start a conversation on sport. And uh, it's a, it's again great to have you because we yeah it's a good conversation starter thanks thanks yeah so i kind of came accidentally into sports journalism where i happened to join uh, in 2001 uh, you know i i was in in the 90s i was in television spent a few years in channel v mtv tried to do my own little startup around the year 2000 then the nasdaq crash happened and everything went to hell and that didn't work out so uh, i happened to uh, and and i like writing in the meantime and i like cricket obviously like which indian doesn't so i happened to get a gig writing for uh, wisden uh, as it was then and uh, i joined them and then wisden bought crick info 
and took over Crickinfo and eventually Wisden kind of got subsumed and uh, then ESPN bought Crickinfo after that and then Wisden came back much later in a separate much smaller avatar. So for about half of the 80s, I was, you know, at Crickinfo and so on. And it was interesting. The interesting part about the ecosystem is one, what everyone kind of realizes is that sports ecosystems in India are really two separate sports ecosystems. There's cricket and there's everything else. And everything else is pretty dismal. It's improving a lot. Uh, it's improved a lot over the last five or six years. And uh, we can talk about that later. But essentially, uh, when I was in my teens, I was a fairly serious chess player, though I stopped at around 1920 because I realized I'm not going to be Anand. But I remember there I was, you know, the local schools champion in my this thing and we went to the Maharashtra school championship. And that was for all sports, not just uh, chess, the athletes, judokas and blah, 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 all of that. And it was in Sholapur. And there was this sort of massive room all of us were put up in and it was this large hall, no beds, no fans, nothing at all. All the boys are just, you know, uh, stuck into one place and the girls had their own thing. And uh, so everybody is like kind of sleeping head to foot. And it's just a complete mess. It's like a railway platform kind of thing. And we got up in the morning and uh, there are just a couple of toilets outside, which all of us have to line up for and figure out a way to use. And we were freaking chess players. Everybody else is boxers, judokas, athletes. And also we had a hope <laughs> in hell of kind of getting into that. And it was just incredibly badly organized. And I qualified. I think I came, you know, third in Maharashtra or whatever. And we never went for the national school games because whoever was organizing it, organized it at the time of the board exams. It was some shit like that. So the point is that when you when you have those kind of incentives, kids don't really want to play sport. You know, cricket, even, even cricket is an issue because sensible people realize that in those days, in the 80s and 90s, you got to be in the Indian team, you got to be one of the stars, you got to be basically Gavaskar or Kapil Dev too for it to be worth it in terms of the money you earn. Everybody else earns nothing, right? And that's thankfully because of the IPL and the modernization of the game and the BCCI getting its act together, that's completely changed. But that was cricket. Uh, for all other sports, there was no point, you know. If you had a shot at doing anything else, you did whatever that other thing was. And people who played sports really played sports to get a job. In the sense, you'd have railways and petroleum and, you know, all these um, sort of public sector undertakings who would kind of give you jobs. So your whole thing was, okay, I'm good at running. I just want to be good enough. So I get into the railways to be part of the railways team. And after that, you know, that's it. That's a limit of your ambition. And honestly, that is rational. You can't aspire to anything further than that because that entire ecosystem simply didn't exist and again, in the last five, six years, it's kind of coming together and that's great. But that entire ecosystem for most of independent India's history didn't uh, exist in kinds of, in terms of the kind of training you would need, just the knowledge that this, this is how you train, this is what you eat, this is how you build a season, this is how you decide what time you peak and how you get there and all of that. None of that shit was there. So it was that kind of a chaotic ecosystem. And then in the 90s, cricket changed because you had the liberalization, which uh, one, uh, you had a burgeoning middle class. So people in small towns could also afford to play cricket. It wasn't just, you know, Bombay, Madras, Bangalore, Delhi, you know, it wasn't just these centers, people everywhere could play. So you have a Dhoni from Ranchi and people coming from everywhere. And that started happening in the 90s, right? Your base is getting a little widened. And also satellite television happened and big money flooded in. 
And as a journalist, when I joined in the early 2000s, the scene was a little different from what it was for journalists back in the day. Because back in the day, you know, journalists had access to players. You know, I did an episode of The Scene and the Unseen with Ayaz Memon and he talks about how he'd just walk into the dressing room, you know. He went to see that famous Stunbridge Wells uh, game where Kapil made 175 and he reaches the ground and Vichy is hanging out outside the dressing room and they go and they have a chat. You can't do that kind of shit today, right? A journalist goes out there, he can't just kind of go to Virat Kohli and say, hi, how are you? How's Anushka doing? So uh, when I kind of joined, that transition was happening where access was no longer kind of so easy. Uh, you had access, it was kind of better than today, but it was no longer so easy. It was kind of transitioning there. And these guys had money. There was much more professionalism. I remember one of my saddest moments as a cricket journalist was um, I called um, a, a member of the Squin Quartet, India's famous Spin Quartet for a uh, coat. And I was calling from Wisden. So at that time, we hadn't yet bought Crick Info. So it was like a you know British publication to him. And the first question, I forget, I spoke to his wife first and then to him, I forget which of them asked me this. But basically, the question was, what about vitamin M being, of <laughs> course, money? And and there was a little bit of that bitterness, you know, in a positive sense, it's just wistfulness. But otherwise, it is full-fledged bitterness, which you can understand because it missed out on everything. You know, the greatest players uh, for five or six decades for India basically made no money. And it was all the people who came after who did. And I would say, fine, at least things got better. Things should get better. So that was great. So that's where I was as a journalist. I kind of did that for uh, uh, five or six years now. In those days, just to give you another little bit of perspective on how sports journalism has evolved. Uh, in, in those days, you know, people resented us. All the young people of Wisden and Crick Info and all of that. Uh, you know, uh, people like, you know, Rahul Bhattacharya and... Uh, uh, so on, all all the young guys um, who kind of started there, people resented us because we could just walk in and cover a test match for Crick Info and get into the press box. Well, I remember chatting once with someone on, from one of the news agencies and he said that, do you know Amit? And this was true of all the mainstream newspapers. And he said, do you know Amit? When I joined, I had to spend 10 years covering local badminton and squash and tennis matches within the city and between the neighborhoods. It took me 10 or 12 years to be allowed to cover a Ranji Trophy match. A test match was like the pinnacle of your career. You work for 20, 25 years, you finally get to cover a test match, right? That's it, you made it. So there was this thing that these kids are just coming in and they're just walking into press boxes, Bindas. So that was it. And what I find really heartening today is that I've, of course, been out of sports journalism for more than a decade. But what I find really heartening is that now it's a young field. There are tons of young people, fantastic writers. I think the quality of writing today is just way better than it was back then. People tend to romanticize the past and all of that. No way. Look, I'll tell you something as an editor who's kind of who looks closely at writing. The quality of cricket writing today is way better. The young journalists of today are fantastic. They understand data. They understand stats. Uh, so, so yeah, in a nutshell, that is kind of a broad summary of how uh, sports ecosystems were like back in the day and how cricket journalism has evolved. That is uh, fascinating because a lot of threads to pick up on there. The one thing that kind of, I think, stands out today is, yes, definitely the quality has definitely increased with the younger generation, younger crop coming in. But I think the one thing that's missing now, Amit, is a really good profile of players, right? Especially in like big, big, let's say cricket. Uh, you don't see a really good profile of, say, Virat Kohli because it's, as you said, it's all about access now, right? Uh, because it's access, that means you are kind of indebted to the player. 
unless he gives you access you have nothing right so more if if they end up getting access it's it usually ends up or devolves into a bit of a puff piece right so i was just wondering it it must be really difficult for today's journalists to kind of get hold of players for once and then have like a free flowing conversation at least for you know 30 minutes or so in a hotel room somewhere or you know in the lobby of a hotel or at a restaurant it's it's very hard these days isn't it yeah i think with this generation that would kind of be the case in my time it it was kind of a transitional thing it wasn't exactly easy but it was possible you know to reach out to someone like a dravid or a lakshman and get time with them and sit down and do all of that uh, by the way shahid so, ogra spoke about it in detail in your podcast i must plug that yeah. really cool one yeah thanks no that was a great episode and she's great and she still does great profiles and all of that i kind of get where it's coming from but i i i don't think journalists should should let Uh, you know that stopped them the the matter of access like i remember there is um, you know one of the sort of pioneering pieces of uh, long form narrative journalism was uh, was it yeah gate elise i think gate elise's uh, gate elise was asked by i think esquire or something to do a profile of frank sinatra and he didn't have access so sinatra refused to meet him so i think he the, the piece was called frank sinatra has a cold or something like that and so he wrote this incredible profile without meeting sinatra it's kind of possible because if if you kind of look at uh, you know the human dramas that are going on are also visible from the outside to some extent you can never quite know what it is from the inside like we can never know what for example shami would have gone through during his recent tro- trolling that kind of interior life cannot really be captured by a journalist today because shami also would uh, rightly be wary of the media and would never open up nobody would you know a journalist wouldn't have that kind of access so there is a certain amount that you can't get to that is uh, you know behind that but otherwise a, a, a lot of the drama is out there um, uh, you know and I I wouldn't say access is impossible but then I haven't really been on the ground or you know uh, been a cricket uh, active cricket journalist for more than 12 13 years uh, so uh, I you, you know so this is something that you'd be better of asking a current journalist how easy or hard it is one thing that I would say is that you know I do this writing course and one of the students who um, one of the participants in my uh, writing course a couple of months back was an active cricket journalist i won't name him or the publication he's from but he was chatting about how one of his big problems is that while he wants to write more ambitious pieces while he wants to write features and go deeper and all of that the imperative of the publication where he works is to follow the news cycle so if something kind of happens that you know uh, dhoni's twisted an ankle or virat's pet dog has a cold or whatever you have to keep following the news cycle which means all day you you know you're churning out multiple little news rewrites and you're not really getting deep and you're not doing the kind of deep stuff that you want and that is a bit of a problem and um, he was like what do i do about that and obviously one of the ways in which i got past that i mean my work was fairly satisfying but i think in every job like at you know cricket for i was sort of the managing editor there for a while and in every job your 70 to 80% of your work will be kind of grudge work but if you can find that 20 30% to enjoy that's what really matters that's uh, what kind of keeps you going and in my case what i would also do there is i started my blog india uncut that became really popular because i was like i don't want to write only about cricket and i don't want to write only in these formats that an article is always 700 words or this is you know a blog gave me the chance to write about any damn thing and i could do 80 words i could do 8000 words i could do whatever the hell and that worked out well for me so i so even if you're a writer stuck in this kind of situation my advice was that you find other outlets but I, one i agree that most of our publications will be catering to these incentives 
which are driven towards shallow content that follows the news cycle which is driven towards clickbait headlines and sensationalism but some of them like i'm pretty sure cricket info or um, you know the um, Uh, the cricket monthly which sidvi and usman and all were editing and you know i wrote an essay for them once upon a time uh, so people like that i th- i think there are people who will give space for longer stuff and certainly the appetite for that and the space for that and the kind of writers who have trained themselves to be capable of writing like that who actually aspire to writing like that uh, i think that entire pool has kind of uh, gone up so that's great Yeah, uh, that is. By the way, India Uncut, the blog is something that Aniket uh, missed in his intro. Come on, Aniket. I thought I said that uh, for Business Week's top fifty most powerful people for India Uncut. But anyway, oh, was so. it for India Uncut? <laughs> okay, my bad. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, they didn't. They didn't say it was for India Uncut. So they had a list of the fifty most powerful people in India, and they went alphabetical order. So I had Sachin Tendulkar <laughs> before me, and Lalu Prasad Yadav after me. alphabetical order of last name so they didn't say it was for the blog but i presume because what else had i achieved not that the blog even the blog was an achievement that merited having me on the list but that was a kind of a funny moment i was like dude the auto rickshaws of bombay don't listen to me and you're saying i'm one of the 50 most powerful people imagine imagine amit if they had gone by the first name you would have been in among the top 5 most powerful uh, personalities in india Uh, that would have been lovely yeah i don't remember if uh, mr bachin was in the list or not and uh, you know does amit come before amitabh i don't know i should right <laughs> so. it should yeah 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 aniket sorry go ahead you had a question i wanted to actually pick up and piggyback off gautam's question uh, so i'm someone who's totally ignorant of this journalist aspect of forced journalism so uh, when i think back earlier in the times uh, and i've heard this my my dad talk about you know how they used to listen to radio and uh, at that time you had a reporter on the ground who would write a piece that would give you a feel to the atmosphere that was in the ground today uh, at least in my head it, that has changed like we spoke about access cuz uh, virat kohli can tweet what he wants to say mohammad shami if he wants if he chooses to he can say uh, something that's interest when this is the ecosystem and athlete does not rely on the journalist what does the journalist look to do i mean where does this fit in so I, this is a pretty broad question but i just wanted your thoughts yeah no it's a great question because the nature of journalism has evolved with the nature of the technology that gets it out there right so one of the th- uh, things that started happening in the 90s and that we realized and that was kind of underway by the time um, i got into journalism is that look earlier back in the day of radio what's happening nobody is watching a match you, you you know your cricket fan is not watching a match he's either listening to it or he's reading the report the next day so therefore the imperative of e- the radio commentator is to describe every ball as vividly as he can not a habit that should go over to television because then you can see the ball similarly the imperative of the person who's writing a report on the match the next morning is to be as vivid and put in as many de- details uh, uh, as possible because again uh, you know the, the the reader hasn't seen the match they probably have no idea they've probably gotten up excited when the milkman comes and waiting for the newspaper because that's actually where they get the information from which is you, you know in these internet days we don't realize what it used to be back then so that's your imperative you pack in all the detail that you can and that imperative began to change uh, uh in, not began to change change when television came in because what what does television do you're watching the match you kind of know what's happening it's redundant to say that you know oh so and so has played uh, stepped out on the front foot and played a cover drive listen everybody can see that right now couple of things happen here thing number 1 is that television commentators uh, abroad the richie the richie beno generation and all of that 
they figured out that this has changed so if you listen to richie beno's commentary or if you you know i don't know if passages of that will be on youtube or anywhere you will realize that they they are silent a lot of the time because the actions happening they only speak when they have something to say in fact that was beno's advice to people that speak if you're adding something to what the viewer sees now in india our uh, early broadcasters actually gave a brief to the people who did commentary for them the, the poor harsha bhogle and uh, all the guys with him that we don't want any silence you got to keep talking right and now you can't fill every second with extra insight that is not visible so you'll have the banalities of what's happening that this is a crucial moment and every ball counts and all of you you have those banalities which pass off as commentary you have um, uh, you know descriptions of what's actually going on there you have all of that gradually i think our commentary has kind of gotten better but you it still has traces of that now the written word evolves in interesting ways where and i think the british newspapers pioneered this uh, when it came to cricket coverage so people like the guardian and the telegraph and so on they figure out that we are not going to you know when you read the morning report we are not going to tell you what happened you know we will give a score little scorecard or sometimes a you know a, a summary of the scorecard but we will not tell you what happened because you know right uh, you've seen it on television or you followed it on the internet so we'll add other things now what are those other things those other things could be context where you get a chance to kind of go deeper those other things could be color you know and the color piece would typically be separate and there would be like uh, in um, wisdom and later cricket for we had a section called the roving reporter where a guy is going around and he's doing color pieces from elsewhere maybe he does an interview of the groundsman or he spends a day not in the press box but in the crowd and you're capturing all of that which is an important part of filling in the experience that a match is uh, your main report will often have a lot of commentary it doesn't have to be a linear blow by blow account so um journalism kind of did evolve like that now coming to the crux of your question which is that when cricketers get their own voices what do you need journalists for and that's a good question and i think journalists just as in an earlier generation a journalist had to consider that i don't need to describe the action it is visible similarly journalists today might have to consider that i don't need to speculate on what is going through ashwin's mind because ashwin is going to talk about it this evening on youtube right if that becomes a case and i'm i'm a big fan of ashwin for that reason also that he's a, a solid youtube creator and i wish he keeps doing he's more of that he's a great blogger he's just great yeah so uh, that's a thing but i think what it does is that in the past you would go to the press conference and you report the quotes now the players might say it themselves but generally they'll talk in the pc like even you know when virat spoke out in support of shami recently it was at a pc it was the first opportunity he got he was at the press conference he was asked a question he you know answer it really well so uh, so it's 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 a little rare cricketers aren't speaking out all the time you have uh, instances like ashwin where he's kind of really doing it himself and i think that's fantastic and i think uh you know cricket journalists cricket writers also have to figure out where their strengths are not just what is redundant and what is not but also where their strengths are you know someone like snehal pradhan who was on my um who is on my latest episode as we record this in fact uh such a fantastic journalist and the point is she comes with so much cricket insight having played the game herself at the highest level uh you know and all of it just makes an incredible package and if you're someone who's never played the game for example you know it doesn't mean that you can't uh, write uh, do great cricket writing but at some level maybe there are things you shouldn't attempt you know so it's important i think for uh, people who cover cricket to have some awareness of what they're good at and what they probably shouldn't do 
totally uh yeah it also on a light note i feel like ashwin should also do some video blogs when india loses that would be also cool to watch i think <laughs> yeah. to kind of get it inside i'm sure because he's he feels like he's very frank and his comes across as very frank in his videos so that's why i'd love to be a fly on the wall when india loses and he you know uh, be, does a video blog but that's another story but picking up on just the uh, life of a journalist right or how they do things in general uh, i read i read your blog i think i read it recently again on i think it was on india uncut we talk about the other side of journalist where uh, i think it, you describe a passage of play where it is it is a test match there's a test match going on you're getting close to the end of the day's play and by that time usually journalists usually put file them not file but are ready with their match reports right uh, but then you describe a passage of play where sachin is very close to getting a century or some kind of landmark uh, and you write and you talk about in the blog uh, as to how the journalists were hoping that sachin wouldn't reach that landmark on that day because that would mean that they have to <laughs> change their match reports and add a whole another story about sachin's achievement and what not right uh, how difficult is it because you've been on um, the, the india's tour to pakistan right in 2005 6 uh, how Six, difficult yeah. is it or Uh, I know it's obviously very exciting to be there. You're witnessing a historic series and whatnot. But how taxing is it? Not just physically, but also mentally. You know, there is this pressure of deadlines. Uh, you have to file a story uh, it, and before a certain time. Uh, there is this added pressure of going to these press conferences. You're moving from one place to the other, living out of a suitcase in a hotel room and whatnot. So, how taxing is it mentally uh, when you're on the road as a you know traveling journalist? Uh, you generally uh, like first of all <laughs> congratulations on finding that piece because i don't even remember writing it so i was kind of experiencing it anew though this is a kind of observation i would have made but i don't remember writing that piece so obviously a really old piece um so one when you're traveling on tour you're traveling with a bunch of other journalists you're having a good time you're chilling uh, so it's not really taxing you have time to do other stuff like in fact what you know when i was traveling through pakistan i also wrote op-eds for the wall street journal met and interviewed economists so i was kind of doing my thing i was also blogging from there on india uncut so you know taking photos of street food and doing all of those things um but the crux of the question is the act of reporting what is it like what are the traps what do you want to avoid what what should your mindset be and that's a great question because uh, the danger there for many reporters is to get stuck into a rut is where it kind of becomes a routine so uh, you know you, you'll sit and like one of the things that really shocked me when i first entered a press box is that you'd have a television there and you'd have the live play happening and no one would actually look at the cricket they'd be doing their own thing whatever the hell it is chatting and whatever and when they'd hear a sound from the tv they'd look at the tv to see the replay to see what <laughs> happened and i was like like what on earth is this shit you you know we are paid to watch the cricket and write about it but that's lazy and obviously uh, the it's it's your journeyman uh, reporters who would kind of do that and not anyone who took uh, took it seriously but also what happens is that as you sit through the day and you're watching something you're forming a narrative in your head of what your final report uh, might be and for some of us you're not just writing the final report you could be filing like after lunch you could be filing something and or you know uh, uh, today with so many people trying to be live you could be filing something more regularly but what's really happening is whatever you're going to write you're forming a narrative in your head and i think the danger there is getting stuck to the narrative i think like one danger is that you get stuck to a narrative and then what that means is you don't notice anything else like there is this famous uh, experiment uh, which the social scientists had carried out where they showed a bunch of people a basketball game and they were asked to look at the ball and count how many times the ball bounced 
so they all watched watched it and some got it right some got it wrong whatever because the ball bounced a lot but what all of them missed was in the middle of the game there is a man in a gorilla suit who just walks through the game and he walks around for a while and he goes off and they all missed it because their eyes are on the how many times the ball is bouncing so similarly if as a cricket writer or a writer of any sort or a reporter of any sort you decide on okay this is my uh, this is my narrative ha theek hai i figured it out and mai ye likhunga you'll miss other stuff that is happening so one you got to watch out for this and also you know be mindful of other stuff that's happening and two sometimes it's challenging because like you said if you know if tendulkar randomly you know uh, hits reaches a landmark at the end of the day then your whole narrative changes and that kind of becomes the focus so i don't remember either this piece or this instance but it's it's uh, you know the kind of thing that used to happen which is kind of a trap so now you just as a journalist yourself you kind of have to watch out for this like the other trap would be looking for drama where there is none because everybody wants to write memorable prose sometimes for memorable prose you need memorable things to happen on the field and many days the memorable stuff doesn't happen so maybe uh, so you try to create it in your head maybe you imagine some interior dramas which aren't really happening or whatever and that's also a danger to watch out for that you know you you want to be kind of uh, not let your own imagination impinge too much on what's going on and try to be as faithful to the story as you can so i'm going to quickly plug in another question here so i was fascinated what it said about the narrative right irrespective of the field like you always see that uh, a person is stuck in his head so what is your process to break away from this like could you share a couple of words on how would you address this issue especially what you've learned uh, over the couple of years uh okay so the, i mean you just have to be mindful that this can happen now the point is forming narratives as you watch something is a natural process it's a good process this is how you make sense of the world you form narratives you look at events eventually when there are enough dots you join those dots you form a narrative that's your story that's fine that's how we function and and that's perfectly fine but what you also want to do is you don't want to settle on a hardened narrative too early about anything you know not just cricket this could be about ideology economics what's happening around us you know you've always got to realize that whatever picture you have is incomplete in some way or the other it's incomplete sometimes you have enough dots to kind of pass a judgment sometimes you don't sometimes there could be additional stuff that can come in so i think that uh, humility is something that uh, has got to be there and it's easier said than done because i'm sure as a young writer i have also you know fallen in love with the narrative and just gone with it ki chalo hum bhi cardas banenge but uh, you know you you uh, so i think oh, but over time i think people kind of realize that uh, uh, a you got to be humble you got to keep questioning whatever narratives you might have uh, formed and not not get into a rut not get into a formulaic thing where it is your job to cover cricket like the best cricket writers is not just a job you know they they just love the game so and you can make out when they write so i i i think you need to kind of keep that spark alive uh you spoke about uh, humility and making sure you're grounded and you know you're watching the game as it happens right uh kind of on the other side you talk about humility in journalists you also you also something that you also talk about a lot is humility in like great sports athletes right you talk about how you know like virat kohli come can come across as the super arrogant and brash guy on the field I think I've pro- I'm pretty sure it was you who said that but he still yeah, has to go back to the nets and be extremely humble because that's the only way he can identify his mistakes and correct himself in the nets right so uh in your uh, in your experiences and I know you've been in multiple tours now right so uh 
have you could you do you have any examples of players of 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 observing any players in the nets and how they are going about uh, correcting their game or correcting their technique whatever it is uh not any specific examples per se i mean the point that i often make is in underscoring that humility is a prerequisite for success and let me break that down for a moment why is that the case it is a case that whenever you start doing something even if you love doing it you suck at it right always you suck at it you're not very good how do you become good you become good by doing it again and again and while doing it again not just doing it again and again mindlessly uh, you know like in a gully cricket you go out playing gully cricket and you just keep swinging the bat now imagine a young 8 uh, year old virat kohli he's played in his gully or his lawn and he's shown some talent so he goes to the nets now at the nets he can't play cricket the way he plays gully cricket because it just won't work so you know he's got to focus on all the things he's doing wrong the road to excellence is always figuring out what you're doing wrong and getting that out of your game are you getting your feet to the line of the ball is your shoulder coming in the line what's the angle of your elbow while driving the balance of the body the stillness of the head all of these things are places where somebody who just picks up the game will get all of these wrong which is natural so you got to mindfully focus on each of them try them a million times and uh, or 10000 times as uh, you know gladwell might prefer and to the point where they become baked into you they're part of your reflexes so when you're playing in a test match and you're playing that straight drive you're not thinking about any of this where are my feet where's the where's my elbow you're not thinking about any of this is baked into you now it's a constant process of therefore evaluating um your game like the example i gave is exactly of virat kohli um, because um uh, you know kohli comes across his, the public image of kohli is of a brash aggressive uh, arrogant young man but my point is that at least when it comes to his cricket i can't speak about other domains of his life but at least when it comes to his cricket he is obviously a man of great humility you have to be you know you go out in the nets you always have to only focus on what you're doing wrong because that's what you want to get out of your game and what remains is right what remains is what you're doing right so you're focusing on the mistakes why am i getting beaten outside the off stump oh my stance could be like this against this bowler because he swings the ball this way you keep focusing on your mistakes so humility is a, is an essential quality and i think literally anyone who achieves excellence has this and they may not show it in their uh, social life for example they may they, they may not show it when they're talking to people but when it comes to their actual craft what they're good at they wouldn't have got there uh, without great humility and and therefore i keep telling people that you know for like i i i remember this sports interview that i um read in the early 2000s now i forget whose it was um uh, it sounds like dravid but i know it's not but i've forgotten who precisely it is and that person was asked about talent and he said you know i'll tell you what talent is you think talent is you know um, having the perfect body or hand eye coordination or all of that no talent is that you've been getting up every morning at 6 to go running one day in the off season you get up at 6 and your body is aching and it and there's a storm outside a thunderstorm and you still get up and you go and run in the rain and that's talent right and people underestimate this they you know what is talent i would say one in that example discipline is talent and two i would say humility is also talent the hunger to learn the hunger to get better so more than all of those natural attributes which you know you need to start with you also need uh, all of these qualities and every great cricketer who's played for india has these qualities i'm sure even a hardik pandey who's got you know so much swagger and all of that you know i bet he has uh, these qualities as well you can't you can't get to the top without great humility 
Yeah, talent is hard work. Talent is humility. Uh, talent is also Rohit Sharma. <laughs> Just yeah. Yeah. yeah who who by the way i'm sure, you know he uh, people give these sort of uh, lazy gender like lazy elegance is one of those cliches people use <laughs> yeah. for rohit and they they also used to use for lakshman and all of that and i'm Makes like it looks so tumne, easy yeah so i'm like theek as a flourish you have used the phrase but you know it, it, in literal terms it is far from the truth these buggers aren't lazy they work damn hard that's why they are where they are I want to take one particular thread that I found super fascinating uh, in this talk was you mentioned a uh, mindset right so uh, Michael Jove actually he talks about there are three things one is your craft that you can actually work on develop the other is your physical aspect right so in, for athlete it's the strength and third is the mindset which is what you spoke about in terms of discipline getting up on that stormy winter day and actually going for the run or showing up when the cards are stacked against you like the fact that showing up actually shows a mindset of a person so i want to uh, get your thoughts on uh, this aspect of mindset in the game and uh, how it's spoken about in cricket or in other sports in general because uh, we i feel it's a opinion it's not a fact but this conversation is lacking in our society of you know in terms of like even in depression or having uh, understanding the mental aspect of uh, how the humans function yeah that's a great question and in a sense this aspect is one in which uh, indian sports not just cricket indian sports has come a long way now aspects of mindset obviously are what i referred to earlier in terms of uh, discipline and humility and all that but uh, one of the uh, essential things that shapes that mindset is uh, is is an understanding of the probabilistic nature of the game right which is something that i think sports people have internalized uh, but uh, viewers have not Uh, right and what do i mean by the probabilistic nature of the game i mean that in a, a particular situation say rohit sharma is in a particular situation the bowlers are bowling really well the run rate is rising he has got to do something he goes for a shot he goes for an aggressive shot he gets out right now what a viewer might see is just what a viewer will see is just a result they will see either that he got out and they will say oh irresponsible person or they will see that he hit a six and they will say are rohit match winner what a genius lazy elegance all of that but the point is that irrespective of the outcome the action is actually the same and the action is predicated upon having some understanding of um, uh, you know what are the percentages there maybe saying that if i just keep doing tuk 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 there's an x percent chance we'll lose the match but if i uh, you know Um, uh, go for my strokes there's an x percent chance i get out but there's a y percent chance that uh, you, uh, you know we break the shackles and things get easier and all of that now these percentages nobody really knows but sports people have a much better sense of what this is and they understand i think broadly that sometimes doing the right thing will get you the wrong outcome or vice versa right so they understand that process is important that you can't focus too much on the results and this is something that everyone in the indian team will also say that they lose and they'll be like the process is fine and they even get mocked for it by uh, you know cricket fans who might not really understand but this is essential and the reason this intellectual understanding of probabilistic thinking is important is that it then uh, uh, you know leads into lifting some of the stresses and strains on you where all you have to worry about is am i doing the right thing and not what will the outcome be will i be dropped if this goes wrong 
you know will my house be stoned if i mean those pressures are of course there but you get what i'm saying and therefore if you just have clarity on what the process is and you focus on the process you are much more likely to do better and all sportsmen across the board right now get it they can't get to the level where they are without getting it it wasn't necessarily the case uh, in an earlier age but today all professional sportsmen get it that processes everything uh, but um, uh, uh, you know a lot of viewers and so on don't get it to that uh, extent where they are too sort of focused on what is the outcome you know so when so took a shot at a goal from uh, 40 yards out you know and it didn't go in and oh it went way over you know what a waste but then you know the player in that spot has possibly been coached in a way that he knows all the probabilities that x percent of the time the ball goes in but if he chooses to pass to this guy there's so much probability that guy will get it within the box to that guy and that guy will score and even if you don't know exact numbers you have an instinctive sense of when is it right to take the shot when is it right to pass the ball when is it right to do whatever and sitting on the outside Uh, i think uh, viewers don't realize this uh, sports fans don't realize this and they think that you know they judge everything on that one action and that one outcome but uh, uh, you, you know and i i think the way we follow sport would be much healthier if we kind of thought like this as well uh, we'd have a little more empathy for what the sports person in the middle goes through instead we judge people and we throw stones on outcomes and that's really sad and unfair uh twitter doesn't help either right it's it's <laughs> twitter doesn't help reactions uh because it's very interesting you talk about rohit sharma because that exactly happened on i think it was in yes tour of australia when they were there recently it, it was i think close to the end of day's play and he played a big shot and got caught at uh, deep mid wicket of netherland and i think sunil gavaskar lost it in the commentary box he's like why why did you do that there's no need for that and all of that stuff but you're right he was definitely playing uh, the odds there he was like he's here is an off spinner the which is little bouncy i can trust the bounce i know what what amount of spin he imparts so i can easily clear a deep mid wicket i know that there's a deep mid wicket in place but i can easily clear it that was probably what he was thinking was because odds are that 60 or 70% of the time rohit sharma is going to clear the ropes there so yeah it's very interesting the other question this might sound a little gimmicky amit so just forgive me if that's the case uh, but uh, tell me if you agree with this or not uh, one of the there are two quotes that i keep a uh, hearing in the scene and the unseen that you use a lot right the one one is that the that the indian constitution is li- is largely liberal imposed on a largely conservative indian people right that's that's for another day we'll, i, I, we'll I, I won't understand. say conservative I, i i won't say conservative i'll say largely illiberal yeah, illiberal and conservative are quite different actually yeah i think i agree with that but that's for another day because we're talking sports but the other thing that you often quote is a breitbart's quote where you say uh, politics is uh, downstream from culture right so i'm going to take that quote and kind of come up with a corollary and say in largely in an indian sports context that is sports in india a downstream from politics i say that because if you look at the amount of politics that's involved in indian sport not not just about cricket we'll get to cricket but if you look at all of these federations where you see all these politicians ruling the roost right you every olympics every commonwealth games you look at you know some badminton federation some politician came and this happened so he had to quit or there was no proper facilities provided because some somebody didn't clear the budget and so on and even in the most recent uh, case you saw rahul the whole rahul dravid's uh, coaching saga right he he clearly did not want the coaching job 
he was clearly uh, strong strong armed into it uh, jay shah and then sara gangali who i think is more of a politician now than an ex cricketer to be honest uh, they've kind of you know twisted his arm and now he's applied for the head coaching job as we speak right uh, what do you make of that is indian sport a downstream from uh, indian politics yeah okay that's a really interesting question and you've kind of made me think one i won't comment on the dravid issue because i really don't know uh you know uh, what's going on there so i won't comment on that but in general i would say that look indian sports is downstream from culture you know if politics is downstream from culture and sports is downstream from uh, politics and sports is downstream from culture i'd say it's downstream from culture and a lot of those cultural factors kind of play in and the thing to note here is that if you look at how indian society has evolved you find that the way that we approach sport has evolved in kind of a similar way that uh, you know back in the day uh, if you look at the early decades of our independence 50 60 70s what is an indian to do to entertain himself like when i get guests of my vintage or older I, on my show i will often talk to them about you know what did you do on a free day in your childhood because there's nothing to do which is why bollywood and cricket are so uh, uh, you know work which is why test cricket works five days who's got five days we indians have five days you know or uh, who who has the time to watch three hour films we indians have the time to watch <laughs> three hour films give them to us so what that also meant was that these uh, our sports stars became larger than life they became larger than life you have temples for uh, sports stars being um, sort of uh, constructed especially bollywood stars uh, uh, become much larger than life and because they are so much a source of your whatever this national pride thing like i really agree with my good friend prem panikar he wrote a lovely piece recently about how it is bizarre that you know we feel pride at things that have nothing to do with us which is what i have also said all my life that you know at the most i can be proud of the things i do and even there i got to be aware of the role luck plays and that i didn't really do everything but to be proud of something that done by somebody else somewhere with no relation to me i don't get that but uh, you know th- there weren't so many sources of national pride so therefore emotions would fly high anger would come and because so much like you take india pakistan ex- as an example so much of our uh, national narrative was a- about this india pakistan thing right from you know uh, uh, right from our birth in, in fact right from our, the birth of the respective nations that um, those matches became a big deal that constantly losing to sharja uh, losing at sharja to pakistan became a big deal beating them in every world cup which was something we kept up until uh, recently was a big deal all these things were a big deal they should not be a big deal but they're a big deal because you know as george orwell wrote in that memorable essay uh, sport is war minus a shooting right and uh, mike marquez of course borrowed that uh, you know used uh, uh, war minus a shooting as a title of one of his memorable books but sport is war minus a shooting now the thing is i think sport can work in different ways and we've seen both those ways in india and way number one is that is negative you have it tied up with all these jingoism with all the tribalistic instincts that are uh, you know the worst aspects of our society today uh, and it can feed into all of those uh, and that's a problem but it can also transcend that sometimes it can transcend that in ways that when someone does something remarkable then you know everybody can gather around to celebrate that and for a few moments one you forget ki you know hindu kon hai muslim kon hai ye kon hai you're all kind of celebrating that and two at an aspirational level 
uh, it gives you hope which is why all these small town cricketers making it big is a really big deal and some of them from really uh, impoverished backgrounds but they make it there like in in my latest episode that I did with Snehal she was talking about someone from the indian uh, women's team whose uh, father sells things on a thela in the streets of uh, mumbai and she made it there and that's aspirational and that's tremendous and that gives hope to individuals that there is something beyond this that um, uh, you know uh, the circumstances of our birth are not our destiny we can go beyond that and sport can sometimes do that and that's wonderful sport can also reveal you know aspects of character which we should all want to aspire to the fact that you stick at something even if you're losing or the fact that that whole one for all all for one kind of team uh, spirit that happens but everything has a flip side to it so in a sense i think it is a mirror of society and uh, you know and i think both cricket and all the other indian sports have been on a massive upswing over the last few years and i just hope that it doesn't go the way of all of this politics kind of getting in the way you know that would be terrible but right now i think that it is still to some level it kind of seems to transcend that and i found it very heartening that you know kohli came out in support of shami the way he did you know and uh, i i i think it's hard to kind of under uh, understate how important um, role models behaving in that way is you know and 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 that's a big deal and someone like kohli is really too big you can't really touch him though he's just lost the captaincy but uh, he's big enough to be able to do that without worrying about being in jail tomorrow unlike you know the rest of us so that's great so yeah i mean there are both sides to this so uh, you know pulling on the politics thread uh, like just to recap you know india as a sporting nation keeping cricket aside we've like you said have grown you know so abhinav bindra uh, gave us our uh, what the roger banister type moment where you know breaking the 4 minute mile and then you have athletes like neeraj chopra uh, who's basically come on and uh, taken this gold medal but we also see the flip side of it uh, for example in this particular olympics if you pick athletes like i think manika batra or uh, sai pranit you know they actually showed up and they didn't have their coaches with them they were not allowed for whatever reason there was some reason uh, they were said that you cannot have your coach or one person one athlete is given two coaches and the others are like sacrificing so uh, there is this element of you know politics for whatever reason is it uh, funding intertwined with this and uh, I want to plug in your episode with I think Nandan Kamat and Joy uh, which was brilliant because it opened my eyes to what the goal sporting revolution was but do our athletes perform despite uh, the privileges they have you know it's I would say it's not in spite like Neeraj Chopra winning is uh, an outlier but if we give that to the 1.3 billion people I know it's tough uh, from an idealistic it's utopian but if you're given that do you think we as a nation would be much more prosperous as a sporting nation yeah firstly i think you put it beautifully just now when you said that uh, our athletes and sports people perform despite uh, the circumstances because throughout our history there really has been so little support that it's ridiculous like just in a chess context i remember i written this long feature of anand for espn back in the day and uh, i related an anecdote which was told to be by my friend devangshu datta who um, uh, was a national level chess player in those days and a friend and early mentor of anand as well and he talks about how 
you know when he would play chess in the late 1980s and he would go abroad maybe to play a tournament or play with soviet people that he would realize that there were really difficult things that these people in their late teens are trying to figure out over the board which have actually been internalized by these uh, soviet athletes by the time they were 7 years old because that is a level of their coaching so the metaphor i drew to talk about um, you know anand's incredible achievement of winning the world championship was that he drove a maruti 800 at a formula 1 race that is what it is i am not this is not hyperbole it's not exaggeration that is what it is when you look at the level of support that those guys get and the facilities and all of that that's available to them now in modern times what you see with modern sportsmen is that that distances uh diminishing a bit one people like um, uh, nandan kamat and all of that the sort of uh, unsung heroes of the game have done a lot behind the scenes to at least make sure that at an elite level once you show that you have olympic potential there is some support given to these guys two what is also happening is earlier an issue was that you just didn't have knowledge knowledge of how to train or whatever i remember there's one india fast bowler who didn't play many matches now i can't remember who which specific fast bowler it is there were four or five of them and i have forgotten which one of them it is i think rahul bhattacharya had written a great feature for the wisden cricket monthly back in the day in the early 2000s on uh, our fast bowlers of that time but in the early 90s or late 80s this guy th- thought that if he bowls with a short put he'll get have more strength in his shoulders and basically he tried to do that dislocated his shoulder never played for the country again this is a kind of bullshit would it happen today it wouldn't because a guy would go online and on youtube you'll have you know complete training dope how to train how to peak how to do everything what to do what not to do all that knowledge is available even people like snehal pradhan or channel is fantastic you know cricket with snehal in hindi incredible you know uh, incredible people don't talk about it enough but you know 20 years later i think you'll see uh, the impact of uh, something like that in in both men's and women's cricket and uh, so today all that knowledge is out there so that's another kind of gap that knowledge gap which has been bridged somewhat but not entirely because top level coaches with state of the art facilities uh, will still give you something that you know this alone can't so yeah things have gotten better which is important but things are nowhere near as good as they should be which is also important also the you know nandan and all will support people like uh, mostly people who have already reached a level where they've shown the potential that they can go and win an olympic medal but the point is what about the rest of it what about the ecosystem what about the base from which all these players come and i don't think there's anything there and the and the problem also is that india has never had a sporting culture like you speak of sports being downstream of culture where's our sporting culture you go to australia you know the normal guy who has no interest in sport you know we'll have free time you know they'll go out surfing they'll go out playing this playing that there's a sporting culture over here there simply isn't you know and a lot of reasons for that people say climate but hey brazil and all have also you know with similar tropicalish climate done well enough people say nutrition but i don't know how much of a problem that still is uh, so you know i don't buy any of those i think that it is happenstance that we don't have a sporting culture it is happenstance that we were basically left with these the colonial heritage of cricket and that really took on for a bunch of reasons uh, but um, there's no reason why we can't do well uh in in everything else which is why you know you correctly uh, you you uh, compared uh, abhinav bindra's gold medal with uh, roger banister four minute mile fantastic uh, comparison because that's really wh- how seminal that is where you just realize that bloody hell i can do that and i'd say neeraj chopra even more because what bindra was doing was he was shooting 
राइट सो पीपल विल से कि ठीक है इंडियंस आर सो स्ट्रॉन्ग दे आर सो फास्ट लेकिन हाँ ठीक है गोली लगा मार देंगे बट यू नो चोपरा चोपरा डूइंग वेल इन अ स्पोर्ट वेयर ही इज नॉट सपोज टू डू वेल कोट एंड कोट यू नो डैट्स नॉट वॉट इंडियंस आर सपोज टू डू एथलेटिक्स एंड यू नो थ्रोइंग शिट यू नो प्योर स्ट्रेंथ and all of that is wonderful and for people to actually see him compete with these world class athletes for people to go on youtube that's more important where after the event you can go on youtube and there are hazar videos on how he trains what he does he talks about process and he talks about process in his uh, you know authentic haryanvi accent so it's not like some guy with an accent is telling you process should be this process should be that it's a guy who is just a person of the soil hasn't changed a bit and he's won an olympic gold medal so i think it's a big deal and one aside i should point out is speaking of process and all of that from what i get to hear from people in the no no people like nandan and joy in fact is that if you just look at the processes that went into preparing uh, the squad for this times um, olympics uh, the results don't do it justice if you just look at the expected value of the processes and the work we should have got more medals so we are celebrating that we got more medals than we did last time and all of that but we actually should have got our expected medal tally is actually more which is really heartening you know so uh, i'm looking forward to seeing where it goes but like you correctly said that till today an athlete who achieves whatever uh, she achieves is doing that largely in spite of the system and 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 that's a pity but hopefully with time that will change and hopefully with time parts of the system can become redundant like just in chess for example today you don't need you know top level soviet coaches to come to india and hold a camp in a large hall where they give a lecture and you don't need that shit it's all online you know we've got top players like nihal sarin pragyananda and all that all online your engines are online everything is online um they're getting in far more volume of actually playing chess because of online chess so you know more and more with technology and all of that bits of the system can become less and less uh, um uh, uh, necessary and and maybe that's also a spark of hope okay so since we're talking about the system right and your experience with chess uh Uh, when you said that i had a vivid memory of my time so i was never an athlete but my dad was in forge so he made sure we played it was a thing we had to do every day so i was a jack of all like i played table tennis for my school for my university i played badminton and i went for these tournaments and what you said just came to life like we would sleep on tables in a school some school would host us we would sleep on tables and there would be no bathrooms and typically when i saw that i I was like, "Why? Why should yeah, someone, yeah. you know, do this?" And this brings me to the question of dropout. Like, it seems like you had a, you know, a similar thought. So we have this high dropout rate in our uh, athletic system. The way the system functions for all its inefficiencies. Is there a? Have you thought about this? Because here, is there a way? Do we have like the midday meal equivalent? You know, uh, which is set up to basically bring kids to school and keep them so that you're. it's a big failure in itself i think that's a topic to for another day of how it's not doing its job but there there's an idea of you know how you retain people have thought about ki acha let's you know work towards this cuz we have china this is i think economist has it it's called the factory of producing athletes you know where they just uh, it's not on uh, choice <laughs> it's imposed on you but uh, you know they have these systems working also have you ever thought interacted with people uh, just cuz you know you are in these circles i wanted to pick your brain along these lines yeah yeah firstly you're absolutely right i mean this is a classic case of the seen and the unseen right you'll see the guys who make it you won't see the guys who don't you'll see the sunil gavaskar you won't see the ramesh nagdev who by the way was gavaskar's opening partner in college hard hitting batsman really fine batsman went to the us to study and to do job right you uh, and the unseen is far more than the seen 
because there's just so little scope. I think the key thing here is not to think of it in a top-down way in terms of what can the state do. Like, do we want to be a China and put people in camps where they're forced to play or whatever? And I don't even know how well it works for China. Like right now, I think in terms of um, chess, at least, which I follow closely, young Indian chess players are more promising than young Chinese chess players, though they're also very good. But I think the larger uh, sort of the key thing to focus on, which is again something I uh, bring up a lot in my podcast, is incentives. Right, people respond to incentives. What are the incentives you can give? Now, for example, a midday uh, school meal is a good example of a different kind of incentive, which is intended to have kids coming to school and for parents to send kids to school because they know that one meal is taken care of. And like you said, whether it works or not is a different matter, but that is uh, at least the thinking behind it. So you got to figure out incentives. And I don't. And you know, for me, for example, look at cricket. You know, the IPL was a seminal moment. I remember before the IPL happened, there were all these commentators saying things like, "Oh, commercialization of the game," and this is a tamasha and all that. And I wrote a long piece, which I'm really happy with because it came out before the first IPL, and I pointed out everything that would have have happened, which has actually happened to a greater degree. Where I pointed out that number one. Cricket has so far been a monopsony. A monopsony is the kind of the opposite of a monopoly, where you have one buyer for your services, right? So the BCCI is a monopsony. Whatever you have one buyer for your services at a feeder level, you have your your state team, and if there is some kind of politics there or whatever, you are lost forever. That is it. But whereas you know you um, uh, the IPL created this. Uh, uh, artificial environment where it wasn't a monopsony because within that IPL world you had eight teams or ten teams now who are having to compete for talent and they are having to compete for talent for their bloody bottom line. So their incentives are right; they compete for talent, and you have things like you know John Wright, the coach of Mumbai Indians, going out and finding Bumrah really famously. And in fact, um, you know Bumrah played for Mumbai Indians before he played a first class game, uh, before he played a Ranji game. He had played a, a you know a limited over state level game, but not a ranji game and somebody with such an unconventional action for him to have actually continued down that pipeline and made it uh, would have been um, really interesting would have been really difficult uh, so um, uh, so he made it so you had all of these kind of ipl teams and competing for talent what it also what the ipl also did now the second point what the ipl did was that it increased the opportunities for people to get money and stardom from the game earlier generation before that like i told you the state of the spin quartet even they didn't make much money right it was really when you reach gavaskar or kapil dev level stardom in the 80s then you make some endorsement money and you're kind of fine and then the next generation you have to make it to the indian team you make it to the indian team you're fine so it's 11 out of 1 billion the odds are really against you if you're thinking sensibly you will just be ki nahi i'll do my engineering or i'll do mba because the point is you do an mba even a mediocre mba is going to make decent money right but a mediocre cricketer is going to make nothing he's going to starve right that, that was the bottom line back in those days so ipl opened those opportunities where it's not just 11 12 guys who can make serious money it's a 100 people it's 200 people you look at these people within the ipl then you see they are people just like you they're talking in your kind of language you know and it's people are coming out of nowhere randomly uh you know uh, pravin tambe is coming at the age of 42 and getting the job done right you you have all of this happening so uh, the incentives change and when the incentives change your pool grows that much bigger and all those dropouts who would otherwise have been unseen dropouts they are now in the game they are playing you know 
and maybe the incentives could change even more and there are still people dropping out who would play but you have all those guys playing and that's had a knock on effect so when i look at what india did in australia for example in the test series we played there where basically india's third 11 won that series for us right at the end right and yeah. that's because number one ipl because all these kids incredible talent were playing day in day out with the best international players so there's no mindset issue you know when uh, shardul thakur takes strike against a top fast bowler he's not thinking that shit yaar ye, ye to mera level nahi hai main yahan kaise aa gaya he's thinking ki isko maine mara hai aaj bhi marunga right so you have that approach so that along with the india a system which you know we, it's bcci has done a lot of things wrong but one thing they really got right was the india a system and especially putting the right guy in charge of it in rahul dravid where all of these people who were in this india's third 11 which beat australia had played for india a before most of them and had that international exposure so cricket sorted itself out why incentives now this becomes a kind of a vicious circle for other sports because the thing with other sports especially olympic sports is that there isn't really a natural market for them right i am not you know it's we are not going to turn on the tv to watch javelin until the next olympics let's face it that's just how it is right most people so that becomes a chicken and egg question that maybe there could be an audience all of these sports have elements to them which are worth it maybe there could be an audience but if there isn't how do you change the incentives just rewarding that one guy who got a gold medal and saying okay tereko you know 5 crore government ne de diya and all of that bullshit that alone is not enough it's again the kapil dev gavaskar thing you have to make it right to the end so you know people are not going to do that so i don't know that's a chicken and egg part of it is if you have a sporting culture it's more likely to happen part of it is if you are going to at the level of the sports ministry uh, sit and do top down reasoning of what sport should we push I think then one of the reasons is when you're changing incentives is to figure out what sports can be successful. Like before this recent episode I did with Nandan and Joy, I did an episode with Joy Bhattacharya called Building Sports Ecosystems, right? First half he spoke about being in charge of Kolkata Knight Riders, second half he spoke about our sports ecosystems, building bringing the under 17 football world cup to India when he did a few years ago and how that went. And an important point Joy made and Joy by the way is now in charge of this volleyball league that has managed to separate itself from the volleyball board which is great and the point that he made is that sometimes there are sports which inherently lend themselves to being followed like table tennis people won't follow table tennis because the ball is too small right so you can't always see what's happening you see people moving and you see a blur of rackets but you don't really know what's happening so it's not really going to take off in that uh, extent whereas if you look at something like football it's visible you know even within cricket it's a small ball yeah but the action is really clear you have those breaks which are perfect for commercial breaks you have all of that so uh, but i don't know if this can be done in a top down way and i don't know if it will happen in a bottom up way because we don't have a sporting ecosystem these are kind of exceptions we just have an incredibly large pool of 1.3 billion which is why uh, you know somebody or the other will you know eventually make it through all the way but it's a much smaller percentage than would be the case in other countries so it's a difficult question i am uh, happy that cricket managed to solve it i think cricket in, in, in india is in a really good place right now but um for the other sports long way to go it's much better than it used to be as you know and people like nandan have played a part in making it much better than it used to be but you know it is what it is yeah uh Uh, it's very interesting with uh, ecosystems because me and aniket uh, live in america so it's amazing you can see the difference because you 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 have friends who are americans right so you just go out and play with them 
any sport you take they play basketball here they play soccer in fact like football here you can see just the way they play their techniques and all are pretty like pretty solid their basic fundamentals are down they know they have tremendous form of uh, shooting a basketball shot or you know you can see them you know moving around in in the right triangles and when they are playing football and stuff so that's again that that's something they learned when they were in high school that's something they learned when they were in like 6th or 7th grade right so that's that comes back to your uh, non existent uh, you know sporting structure in, in india and what not uh, also yeah go ahead sorry i'm going to interject and piggyback something because you said something super important right so i live in uh, the place i live i i work at a university and the facilities here in the university for kids to play is beyond like lal bahadur shastri national stadium in hyderabad it's outright that's the next level i see kids there's a park ahead of front of my house the kids are chotu fellows they must be a fifth class they come with cones they lay their cones they have this full american football kit gear they're forming huddles and this is a 5 year old kid who has a coach who's telling him what to do and they are you know shouting let's go one guy is like you know huddling and i go back to my time as a kid because that's my only thing and we were like panch log get together aaj ball kon la rahe bat acha tum laoge out ho gaya to bat leke ja raha hu main so you know that used to be the ecosystem we uh, kind of played in and you can see this stark difference of how a college sporting ground here is like you know better than what we have used for some of our asian week games and commonwealth games as well i mean i just wanted to add this point uh, totally and 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 to amit's point about incentives and shardul thakur i i've watched this uh, sh- uh, video on loop by the way there is this one shot that shardul thakur plays i think this is in adelaide uh, he's he's facing michel stark okay he's he's in that partnership with washington sundar so <laughs> he plays this one shot it's the ball is outside the off stump good length he just stands there and hits a cover drive on the up and just stands and holds his pose for a little bit quite an unbelievable shot but to your point about- i remember that shot is a ridiculous shot like uh, it's a shot of a top batsman a bowler won't yeah. even practice all the shit that goes into that but uh, you know uh, these guys do because they know that an ipl you got to do everything man to you know you, to be valuable for your team yeah yeah quite an unbelievable shot and to your point just he he doesn't fear anybody at that stage because he's seen that he's, he's been there he's probably been in more high pressure situations than that test match uh you spoke very briefly about chess there uh, amit so i'm i'm sure at some point i don't know if you had it or not but have you had any interactions with vishnath anand and then could you just uh what how did he come across to you is he like an intense guy you think when he's preparing for a for a chess game or uh, i see like a laid back guy who like who takes life as it comes so i'm a bi- i'm a big big fan of anand and i've tried to get in touch with him to invite him for my podcast but i haven't even been able to get in touch so i don't even know you know uh, uh if i can uh, manage to do that at some point because my emails and whatever uh, go unanswered but the, in- the 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 interesting thing that people who don't play chess don't realize about anand is that he comes across uh, and he is such an affable mind-mannered polite uh, gentleman but his chess style is completely different super aggressive super precise super you know he he just goes for the attack it's it, it's like you know having the demeanor of dravid but the uh, the, the the game of viv richards it's kind of something like that and it, that is uh, you know once you get into chess and you start kind of uh, going through uh, some of the games that he's played some of the things that he's done it's it's simply spectacular but in person he is so mild mannered and chilled out but obviously incredible work ethic worked uh, really hard uh, you know paid a lot of attention to um, 
the fitness element which modern players now get it but it wasn't always so obvious that physical fitness is a big part of chess and he did his yoga and he did all of that so yeah i'm a huge fan uh, even if he doesn't reply to emails <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's fascinating yeah i would love to uh, uh, listen to uh, vishnadan anand on the scene in the unseen because i think he's somebody who does not as you said does not get his due credit i mean he gets his laurels and what not but i think he should be lauded much more than what he's lauded right now uh, i think aniket we have a few questions from the news laundry uh, uh, folks that we have uh, do you want to just go through them briefly they are like current topics amit you feel free to answer them or don't not answer them just just off the cuff topic so the one of the first sure. questions was uh should messi return as a player or a technical director to barcelona in the future no the i mean the answer is neither i'm sure uh, both <laughs> barcelona and messi would not consider any of those options uh they already i mean i mean it would just be a celebrity based thing i don't think they'll kind of do that um, like ronaldo getting back to manchester united the, the, the thing is one i think uh, you know barcelona's kind of uh, done the right thing by hiring zavi um uh, even though he's a former player he's also someone who is uh, sort of almost a player philosopher like pep guardiola was that whole cryfian um, uh, you know la masia style of uh, possession football and ex- so i think he's a perfect person i would actually have preferred someone like eric ten hag also a very cryfian coach at uh, ajax uh to kind of come because he's actually had um, a fantastic track record over the last few years of nurturing youngsters and taking them to the highest level but i think that's good but i used to do an economics podcast um, uh, with a co-host of mine vivek call a couple of years back and we, uh, called econ central and we did an episode there where i spoke about the concept of the winners curse in um, the context of football like that was a time Mas- uh, messi had just announced that he's leaving barca and he eventually couldn't he was stuck there but there was talk oh city will pay so much or psg will pay so much and my point was whoever gets him is uh, you know will um, be a victim of the winners curse because a problem with messi and ronaldo is that their goal scoring abilities are undiminished however they their work rate off the ball has just become terrible like jonathan wilson had a great piece on this that when messi was in the 2010 2011 barcelona under guardiola you know his number of tackles per game and he'll just work rate at pressing was really high it was fantastic compared with anyone while today it is you know at the other end of the spectrum you know where these guys will just stand around and kind of wait for the ball and psg has of course a multiple problem because uh, they've also got neymar and mbappe who don't like to press too much and the modern game is a kind of a that total footbally thing where everybody has to press everybody has to work together so it becomes a problem so you know when this season began i thought okay psg and united are going to disappoint their fans because uh, you know and psg of course is such a strong team that you know it's only at the champions league level that they get disappointing they might still win the league anyway uh, but uh, uh, you, you know with united like i i think ronaldo in the game that happened yesterday against atlanta bailed them out with a couple of goals and you'll see him scoring goals and you'll wonder what i'm what am i saying but the point is the fact that ronaldo is there and you have to play him means that your entire strategy then becomes dependent uh, and circled around this one person and that can't be good and that so even if the that guy himself is scoring goals it becomes a problem and you kind of you know uh, jonathan wilson again in a recent piece wrote about ronaldo as someone who's been destroying uh, coaches you know at juventus allegri had to go then sari had to go um, you know over here solskjaer will be gone soon you know you might have a few uh, false dawns but he'll be gone soon 
and uh, maybe he would have been gone anyway without ronaldo but i think teams play really differently and and neither neither of these you know and i don't know where the question about messi came from because he's not really a thinker of the game he's just a great player period and uh, i think uh, you know anyone who gets him like you know plg apparently their commercial value their endorsements all of that really went up after he joined so that's a good reason to get a guy like that i'm not sure there are solid footballing reasons or if you are the kind of team which is set up in a way that you defend a lot and counter attack and you need a good pointsman at the end then maybe someone like ronaldo is fine for you but if you're going to be one of the best teams and these two guys are bugs and not features uh you said jonathan wilson a couple of times i highly recommend our listeners to go check him out he writes for the guardian he also has he also a frequent guest on a podcast called the guardian football weekly that you should check out uh Uh, I think also to a large extent the really great players I think this is my personal opinion to a large extent don't make for great coaches I don't think because they have a very high standards and they have expect the same standard that they were uh, when they were in when they were playing but that's a whole I think also Amit you and I are in uh, a minority when you say that Ronaldo is probably not going to be the best thing that ever happened uh, to United or his return because I'm a Manchester United fan and I've been harping I know Anike disagrees with me because I've been harping and just being banging the drum and saying that you know look is he's not he's going to be good he's going to be serviceable don't get me wrong but it affects the whole nature of how they go about things they have to play him in every game which they are now sure is bailing them out but I think overall he's not going to make them uh, world beaters I don't think it's just sure similar to Messi at PSG they're selling uh, uh jerseys like crazy uh, the social media team has been on an overdrive every other post is ronaldo with a picture in it so yeah it's kind of crazy but anyway anike do you have any other questions i know there are a few more just a few more yeah so i just wanted to add my two cents <laughs> to this uh, is that uh, i 100% agree that ronaldo is not the guy who would come and score 42 goals you know one uh, season but having a person like him who can come on in the 60th minute definitely helps the team like you have folks like pogba and all who you know typically are not the uh, highest high class trainers who and when you see someone like ronaldo who comes in at like 6 am or messi and you know leaves at like 8 am i think there is this uh, element of leadership imparted and i think kohli you know had a similar effect on the indian cricket team in terms of fitness going into the gym and stuff like that so uh, i i i i get that but the other aspect of it is that all these people also see that these super overpaid superstars at the end of the field aren't really defending they aren't really pressing you know while in the other team there might be uh, 10 outfielders who are all pressing over here there are eight or nine guys who are pressing you know there's that one lazy bum who can yes score a lot of goals but he he just kind of <laughs> chilling there I, i mean i know i'm sounding too harsh and i don't want to overstate it these are both incredible I goal know. scorers so what you said about 42 goals in a season he might well get that but the question is what is the unseen effect on how the rest of the team plays the rest of the time what is and and ronaldo and ronaldo is not going to come on the 60 on on the 60th minute he's not going <laughs> yeah, to be happy with any he's going happen. to start he's going to want to start every game right so that's the thing No for yeah. sure I agree and uh, you know with both of them in the team you're always keeping one passing lane open because you know they are going to sit back and not uh, do the press as you mentioned so I'm 100% uh, on that so uh, the next question is related I mean so I don't know why I think we have Barcelona fans including me is that Barcelona 
will what can barcelona do to achieve the former glory uh, do you have uh, thoughts on that i have some thoughts but i'll let you go first yeah no i'm i'd be interested in knowing what your thoughts are uh, i'm uh, you know i i my th- thought on what they need to kind of do is that they need to drop the image of themselves as this dominant team that has dominated europe that has dominated uh, um, uh, you know the game in spain and instead realize that they need to kind of reboot and therefore i think what they are just doing is kind of the right thing which is that focus on the young talent who've been trained in your traditional way of playing at la masia so you know guys like pedri and gavi and all of these guys focus on the young talent that you have the young teenagers coming through and get a coach you can build a project with they should not have got a superstar coach at this point in time they should have got a guy who is philosophically completely with them much as guardiola was and then you back the guy you back the guy again process so you say that okay results don't matter maybe we don't even qualify for the champions league next season i mean right now they are like 7th or 8th or whatever right maybe we don't even qualify results don't matter but back the process do the rebuilding thing and maybe in 3 or 4 years time when this spectacular young talent really um, uh, achieves fruition and uh, you know uh, the, the, that style of prayer really comes together again you have the sort of the effect that guardiola had back in the uh, day with uh, messi and iniesta and xavi and all of that i think there is a talent there there is a raw talent to build something like that but don't uh, look at look at superstar hires don't um, look for st- superstar coaches i think they should really have got one of two people eric ten hag or javi and just given them the keys and said that okay we are building a long term project you know if we don't make it to champions league by um, by march we will not sack you we are building a long term project just focus on that make the team play the way that barcelona used to play i think they kind of need to do that uh, unfortunately they are in this massively difficult corner where financially they've just been blown apart like they've made all kinds of wrong decisions in the last few years in terms of getting players in terms of the coaches they've got and all of that all kinds of wrong decisions and uh, financially i don't know how sustainable this whole thing is uh but uh, but they've got to build that long term project i think for any football team not just them even united for example need to build a long term project don't go from superstar coach to superstar coach get a guy who can build that project like i you know chelsea did a very smart thing last year where they didn't stick too long with lampard they got in uh, thomas tuchel and immediately the result and the difference was visible similarly i think these guys you know before pochettino went to psg they should just have gotten rid of solskjaer and got pochettino and told him project because he built a similar project like that at tottenham and that really worked out now it's like it was like a negative sum game that uh, you know united is still stuck with solskjaer and there's no vision and there's no project and poor pochettino is stuck at psg where he can't do what he does because he's got all these saddled with these superstars so at some point in time i hope the two come together but i think the key for any club in the modern day is build a project like even for for that matter for newcastle what they seem to be doing is they seem to be looking for a superstar coach what i would do is go to ralph ragnick for example who's available you know who built the whole red bull franchise who was an early gegen pressing inspiration for jurgen klopp go to ragnick give, give him the keys of the house tell him that you know you be director of football as he uh, has been in all these other clubs but you also coach and he's been a great coach and then later on maybe you get somebody in the exact red bull model that was formed but you have to build a project and look at the long term you can't just say that i have so much money and i will get so many players and i will get a big name coach i don't think that works out 
Yeah, and then uh, Aniket. Now we saw uh, Kuman is gone. Um, they they sacked Steve Bruce from Newcastle. They sacked Nuno from Tottenham. It's whole musical chess thing going on. They got Tottenham gets Conte. Barcelona still looking. I think. Uh, I think Una Emery is going to Newcastle. By the way. Yeah, that's what I. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I love Unai, oh, but I'm not sure he's a man for a project. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but we'll see how it goes. I'm not really we'll not uh, comfortable with him either. Aniket, sorry, go ahead. You had some comments on Barcelona. Yeah, so I couldn't agree more with Amit actually, uh, and. The reason is, if we learn anything from our history, this is the lesson, right? We've seen Arsenal with Arsene Wenger, who had a project going on, uh, say with Sir Alex Ferguson at United. And when you have this, you know, there is no short-term fix. It's a band-aid and it will eventually, it's a house of cards that will uh, fall. And I have another sweeping observation to make. Like you mentioned about financial mess. My club, Barcelona, and my country seem to be in a leadership crisis, you know. (laughs) I think Barcelona have come out of it. Uh, it's going to be a long haul. You know, once you fall into this slump, it's never going to be back at the same rate. Your The rate at which you grow is going to be much slower than what you previously. So, uh, let's see where Barca goes. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> India learns and grows too because, uh, you know, we got to pick our uh, yeah leaders well. But yeah, that's I'm, a, I'm, I'm really worried some one of these corporate tech bro types will listen to this and do a LinkedIn post about what football coaching uh, can teach a prime minister. So, you know, if that happens, uh, Aniket, it's your fault. Oh, no, I'm, gu- I, I'm guilty. But yeah, I, I was I thought so much whether I should say it or not. But then I'm like, you know, maybe just say it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. so... Yeah, yeah. So I completely agree, and you know, I had I never knew this guy. Well, LinkedIn is now becoming more and more like a professional Facebook environment. <laughs> yeah, and Gotham bragged about him going to Milwaukee Bucks. So two years back, I didn't know it would be the last time I would ever see, but it was a dream to watch Messi, and I actually did. So I wow. saw him uh, play the uh, local derby with Espanyol. So it was pretty awesome. And uh, I never ever thought at that point, I thought Messi and Barca were one thing, uh, you know, it was too far to ever think this would happen. But here we are, different times. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel your pain. Like, I, I have friends who are very deep Barca fans. Shout out to Ruben Abraham. And I know how difficult the last <laughs> few years have been for them. But, you know, I think they're finally on the right track. And, um, uh, you know, I think Javi is a good choice. Getting a superstar coach would have been terrible. Um, uh, you know, and and I'm, I'm I hope it works out. They have these uh, young guys if uh, tied up to these contracts with ridiculous buyout clauses. I think one billion dollar buyout clauses for Pedri, and um, uh, so it's. But let let's see how it works works out. Awesome, uh, Aniket. Do you have anything before we conclude here? So I had uh, one final uh, question. Uh, you know, and uh, this is uh, something that caught my intrigue while listening to your podcasts. So you talk about this monopsonies, uh, you know, especially in the Indian uh, system. And we have a perfect example of how BCCI, what it was, what it's become. And I feel uh, as muscle memory, we have this memory of, you know, we know how to run one sport. For example, it's cricket. Uh, Do you have thoughts on uh, why it does not translate? I mean, we've briefly touched upon, you know, uh, these aspects of it. But I was very curious, like, is this monopsony thing a problem? Because you have this board for volleyball, you have this board for, uh, you know, kabaddi, you have this board for every sport. And is this a problem? And uh, 
do do we need to even solve it you know it's a very open ended question but i wanted to get your thoughts on it i was very curious um it's both a problem and it's not and it's both a monopsony and it's not so let me kind of explain what i mean by that one is that it is sort of the nature of sport that all sporting bodies everywhere in the world are monopsonies right so you go to england and you look at cricket or you go to spain and you look at football and there is one boat for all of those and that's a monopsony and very often uh, they are unaccountable and all of that so it's true that they're functioning that way and a monopsony typically means there's no com- nobody competing for your services but at another meta level and i use the word meta a lot i don't know if i should anymore now that facebook is meta but at another meta <laughs> level uh, none of them are monopsonies because if i am talented at different things i don't you know i don't just have to play cricket for the bcci i can play volleyball for the volleyball federation or uh, you know my friend joys volleyball league or i can do whatever else you know everything really competes with everything else in terms of activities so therefore what happens is that if you have say um, a sporting federation of uh, uh, podcasting and they can't make podcasting attractive enough then those podcasters will instead go to the sporting federation of youtubing which is made more, which probably has provided better incentives and is better managed and they will do youtubing instead so there is a kind of competition that plays out between sports and between activities uh, but the larger thing is is a monopsony a problem yeah absolutely and i'll put it like this that imagine if podcasting was a monopsony you know you and i would not have our shows that you know i can guarantee you you and i would not be doing uh, the shows that we do or if writing was a monopsony you know where you have only one buyer for your services you know can you imagine that you know where there is uh, g- i- imagine the podcasting ecosystem like the um, uh, like any sport ecosystem where first you got to go to your district and make the district team and just go all the way up it ain't going to happen it's a disaster <laughs> so the unseen impact of all of these different monopsonies monopsonies is incalculable we don't know what it is but it's definitely there it cannot you know obviously um, uh, where you have competitive marketplaces is better for everyone concerned uh, uh, especially the talent but having said that it is what it is and i'm not overly worried about it because they're all competing with each other in a sense you know except that every day there is a tragedy playing out where a kid who could have won a gold medal at something or you know been one of the best basketball players in the world is not getting that chance you know and every day there is an unseen tragedy like that playing out on our streets in our gullies you know in our um, housing societies for all we know but you know it is what it is i don't i don't see a way uh, past it and um, uh, you know the government taking over things is just the worst monopsony of all that simply would not work i mean it's it's no coincidence that the one sporting board in india which has done well despite all the nonsense they have done they've still done well is is the bcci so you know yeah that that tells you uh, most of what you know what that makes sense and that tells you all you have to right uh i i guess we, we we can keep going on and on and on pick pick on so many threads here but i know we are a little strapped for time uh so amit uh, really really appreciate you joining us we are still a very fledgling as they say fledgling podcast so really appreciate you coming on um you're probably the most prolific and the greatest indian podcast of all time i'm going to say it uh i've i've already done the conversation you don't need to butter me up now <laughs> thank <laughs> I know. you for that no but yeah. seriously I, i i remember i was in um portland uh, in oregon on the west coast i had to take this um, trek i think it was a 10 9 to 10 mile trek beautiful trek it was it took me about 3 hours to finish a 3 and 1/2 hours 
it was equivalent to one sharda ogre episode uh, of the scene in the unseen i <laughs> i started trekking and finished trekking and that was the end of the podcast i think it is close to 2 and 1/2 to 3 hours <laughs> well you can say you went on a trek with sharda ogre how many people can say that but you should listen at higher speeds i listen to everything at 2x or more you know you go one step at a I time till it normalizes yeah. it's just much more efficient and you uh, you know get in a lot more that way but i still so can't I, I, yeah oh no appreciate it really uh, i 1.5 kind of works for me but yeah it's still kind of weird for me to listen yeah. at a higher speed you have to get used to it but really thank you amit thanks for joining us before you leave do you have any uh recommendations we ob- will definitely plug your uh, podcast on the show notes but anything any other recommendations that you have one you mentioned jonathan wilson so jonathan wilson's book inverting the pyramid is a fantastic book of the evolution of football strategy and uh, that you really have to uh, read for uh, in terms of cricket really all books by gideon hay but my uh, old colleague rahul bhattacharya wrote a fabulous book called mm-hmm. pandits from pakistan uh, he had traveled through pakistan for the 2004 tour when we resumed touring the uh, you know the the tour before i went in 2006 so pandits from pakistan is um again a a a fabulous book which cap- very authentic captures a flavor um, uh, really well uh, so that's kind of a superb book i would say you know ch- i you know i'm not you know i, I when snehal came on my episode uh, last week i said good things about her in the intro and all of that but if anything it was understated i just think she's an absolutely remarkable journalist you know about everything not women's cricket about everything this is one of our finest writers out there so follow her work follow sharda ogra's work rohit brijnath can write a pretty mean feature sometimes when he gets his mind down to it uh so yeah and just just write yourself you know if if you love the writing of these people and you feel that age then don't don't be underconfident don't let diffidence hold you back i think what too many young people do is they'll fall in love with something then they'll do it they'll think they suck and it's not for them and they'll leave it but the point is everybody sucks when they start and the only way to become good is by doing it again and again and again just simply iteration and one of the things i like to tell my writing students which is perhaps a good note to end this on is that uh, when it comes to other things talent might be a prerequisite along with all the other things so you know if you're a batsman you need that hand eye coordination if you're a fast bowler you might need a particular kind of physique or the fast twitch muscles or whatever for writing there is no prerequisite anybody can write great prose anybody you know without exception so if you want to write if you feel uh, if you love sport and you you feel you read all these great writers you'd like to write yourself don't let anything stop you just jump into it keep doing it trust in the process and eventually the results will come Awesome, Aniket. So, uh, thank you so much uh, for being here, and I must thank you personally. I never knew I would get this chance to, but your podcast has been an amazing companion on my runs. So, uh, I never knew that I would get an opportunity to actually thank you personally because <laughs> it's been a great companion on my solo runs. So, thank you for that. And a recommendation that I have to enrich the life of our audience is I read this interesting article. It's on Science Direct. It's a sports article. but it basically talks about how in a biathlon which basically has skiing and shooting uh, they did a study on how uh, supporters impact athlete performance and what they found was that uh, men actually ran faster uh, in that which is expected because it's a sporting event but what was very surprising was that in uh, which is basically strength based but when it when it is a comp- complex event like shooting uh the researchers found that men actually did worse with uh, athletes uh, with audience in the uh, 
stance. Whereas for women, it was the other way around. They did poorly in uh, when they had uh, basically a skiing race or something, but in a more complex environment where you had hand-eye coordination and mind active, women tend to do much better uh, with uh, support. So I found that article very interesting. It's very counterintuitive in my head. So, uh, but that that was one. And then I saw this movie called Schumacher on Netflix. Uh, I would recommend people to check it out. It was pretty uh, inspiring. Your article really sounds fascinating. I'll check that out. And thanks for the kind words. I mean, it's actually words like yours that kind of makes it all worth it. So thank you so much. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, you spoke about, uh, I briefly mentioned Inverting the Pyramid. So I'm going to recommend another book similar of similar vein. It's called The Mixer by Michael Cox. It usually covers uh, how... Premier League has evolved, so it's mostly covers the Premier League era. So it starts from ninety one through twenty fifteen or so. It's a really good book. Uh, the one good thing about that is you can always he calls out individual plays. So you can always go and book the book on the side and go to YouTube and find it out. So it's very cool. So check the mixer out on Michael Cox, and also please do uh, subscribe to News Laundry. We love working for them. They gave us a platform here where we are able to meet all these wonderful people. So thanks to everybody, and please do subscribe to News Laundry and pay to keep news free. Thank you, Amit. Thanks, Aniket. Thanks for having me. And I'll just double down on that and say that, listen, we all complain about the state of the nation. I know our media is so, um, you know, cowardly and sold out and all of that. And that just underscores that the few people who are doing great work like News Laundry, we all need to support them and actually put our money where our mouth is. So do go and subscribe to News Laundry, uh, you know, who are fighting the good fight regardless of whether we support them or not, but we should support them anyway. Thanks for having me here, guys. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you. Have a good day. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.